the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are people who are serious about the faith, then there are people who are not. Most people are not serious about the faith. They're not serious about God. They do not really care who is God, whether there is eternal life, the nature of that eternal life. What is the sure authority regarding eternity in God? And really how they might stand before God because they're really not serious about the nature of God that they might stand before. They're not serious about the faith and God will deal with them for ignoring him and his word. This sermon isn't about them as the gospel lesson is not about them. In the gospel lesson, Jesus is addressing those who are serious about the faith. But the ones he's addressing are those who are serious about the faith, but their faith is the wrong type of faith, for indeed it's not faith at all. They do not have true faith. But in the gospel lesson, we do see those who do have true faith. Now we listen to the introduction to the lesson. Jesus tells his parable to some who trusted in themselves that they are righteous and treated others with contempt. In the parable, two men are contrasted. They both go to the temple to pray. At the temple, there would be daily sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. These two men are serious about the faith and are praying at the temple where the sacrifice for sin is being made. The first to be introduced is a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees were very serious about being faithful to God and to keep the Torah of Israel. They did not like the creeping influence of Greek and Roman ideas into the faith of Israel. They were so concerned about the Torah that they had 613 law codes of oral tradition in addition to scripture in order to try to be faithful Jews. They were considered to be the serious religious Jews of their age and they looked down at other Jews who were not as serious as they were. Now the other man in the parable is a tax collector. He is someone who cooperates with the Roman authorities in collecting taxes from his fellow Jews to send to Rome. Now many tax collectors actually abused their situation, took extra money while collecting tax collectors, but some were fair and honest in their tax collection, but they still would be looked down by their fellow Jews because they were cooperating with the hated Romans and most Jews at this time wanted the Romans out and a new King David on their own throne apart from Rome. And so any tax collector they would look down on. Notice how the serious Pharisee prays. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Notice in his prayer, he compares himself to others, especially this tax collector. He thinks he is serious about God, but he's actually not. Notice he does not compare himself with God's law. He does not truly examine his own self in view of the holiness of God and the holiness 
of the Ten Commandments. He does not look down deep into his heart and see how he, the Pharisee, has lived before God. Instead, he looks aside to others and their outward actions. It's easy to compare yourself when you look outside at others. And he also looks at some of his own works, such as his fasting and his tithing, and he sees that those are above and beyond others also. He does not really look to God. He does not really look at his own sinfulness. He does not appeal to God's mercy. He appeals to his own self and how he measures up according to the standards that are man-made. In contrast to the Pharisee is the tax collector. He stands far off. He does not even look into heaven as a typical Jewish male would do when he prays. The tax collector doesn't mention others. He doesn't look at others. He does not mention any of the, his own things that he has done. He does not mention any of his own merits. Instead, he beats his breast for sorrow. And he says this. Here's what your text says. God be merciful to me, a sinner. As it's translated, it sounds similar to Bartimaeus' cry, the blind man's cry, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But here, the tax collector is actually using a different Greek word for mercy. Better translation of the tax collector's plea would be, God, let there be propitiation for me, the sinner. He is calling for God to propitiate him, the sinner. He sees himself as the sinner, and he asks for propitiation. It's a big word, but it's a big word that you all should know. Propitiation is to turn away God's wrath. The tax collector sees his own sinful state as it really is, and he knows he deserves God's wrath. He pleads for God's wrath to be turned aside. He knows only of his unworthiness before God and only asks that God's wrath be turned away from him in mercy. This reminds me of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees the holy God. He sees the burning angels around the throne of God. And Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. God took away the guilt of Isaiah. God declared the tax collector justified in his sight, not because of the tax collector's righteousness, but because he is gracious and merciful to the repentant sinner. The tax collector is praying that God turns away his wrath as he prays in the temple. The tax collector is aware that there is a sacrifice propitiating God for his sin. And so Jesus tells us this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. That is the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. True humility is to see yourself as a sinner before the Lord and to believe that your sins are taken away by the Lord. Now, you heard that Jesus was speaking this parable to those who trust in themselves, like the Pharisees. The question is to look at yourself and to see if you're trusting in yourself to turn away God's wrath from your sin. Looking at others or looking at your own works, that's not going to work. That's distractions. Your world wants to distract you from knowing your own sin, your own unrighteousness. The truth is, you're a sinner. 
and you need God's wrath to be turned away. And the good news is, my brothers and sisters, it has been turned away. In Romans 3, you hear that you're justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. In John 2, you hear, he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In John 4, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus took away the wrath due for your sins. Jesus suffered, Jesus died, God's wrath is taken away. You are free in Jesus. There is such joy knowing your sins are taken away by Jesus. There's such joy in knowing how gracious God is and how loving he is towards you. And you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. There's such joy being in this divine service where Jesus delivers this forgiveness to you that he won on the cross in his word of absolution, in the hearing of the word, and in the receiving of the blessed sacrament. You are absolutely dependent on Jesus, and that is good, because he is good and faithful to you, and he's given you eternal salvation by his death and resurrection. Being truly dependent on Jesus, then, is exactly the point when Jesus later on says in our lesson, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. A baby is unashamedly and totally dependent on mom and dad, especially mom. A baby cannot do anything to make food, protect herself, change herself, or keep herself warm from the cold. A baby is absolutely dependent on mom and dad for life. So too, you. You're absolutely dependent on Jesus for life. When you combine the parable of the tax collector and see his salvation by grace alone, and you know that you're to have faith like a child, you see, you're absolutely dependent on Jesus for life. And that is good. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. Jesus has prepared eternal life for you. Jesus is coming back for you. All glory, honor, and praise to him and to the Father and to the Spirit. Amen.